Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare me a guest room, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, send you greetings. Send you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. I read that whole thing so you hear the story. You get the context. Because this week I'm going to be pulling out um, specific things, like I mentioned, having to do with Onesimus. Um, next week we'll deal more with the other side of the equation. Brothers and sisters, one of the things I've noticed about this brief little power-packed epistle is that the gospel really does transform lives and relationships when it's truly believed and when it's fleshed out in everyday life. In other words, It really is the power of God unto salvation. Can I get an amen? For those who believe. Now, the the Apostle Paul knew this from experience, obviously, in his own life. He used to go about uh, agreeing to the murder of Christians, and now he goes about spreading the good news far and wide because he met the living Jesus. But he also knows that from the people he has seen that he has ministered to whose lives have been transformed by the message of the gospel. So in this short letter to Philemon, we get a glimpse of the impact the gospel truly has, listen, on the rich and on the poor, on slave and on free, in home life, in church life, and indeed we're going to see how the gospel even has an impact on society. So there's a reason uh, we have as a core value that the gospel changes everything. And I'm going to ask Sean, do me a big favor, go all the way back to the first slide, if you can get it just for a second. It's really incredible, um, as I studied for this epistle, and I look back at this, 
core value of ours. Um, let's read it out loud together and just see, we're going to see how it fits when we see Philemon. The gospel changes everything. The gospel is the power of God that changes not only unbelievers, but believers as well. The gospel is the solution not only for our spiritual problems, but all personal problems and all society, societal problems. We are committed to bringing everything we do into line with the gospel. Yeah, that's a mouthful. And it's like, wow, can we really prove that the Bible teaches that? Well, it's interesting. In one little epistle, you're going to see all that. I think that's incredible. So this is what we're going to see. We're going to see the gospel's power to forgive, restore, and transform hearts and lives, and even social institutions when it's applied by faith. You know, a lot of times people will say, well, it doesn't work. Well, the gospel only is effective if folks believe it. Amen? All right, it's got to be applied through the power of the Holy Spirit, obviously. Faith is a gift from God, but it has to be applied. So we're going to take a look this week only at the gospel's impact on a runaway slave named Onesimus. Boy, I had to practice saying that over and over again. It's not a normal name in the English language. All right, so we're going to see three things about the gospel's impact on Onesimus. And the first is we're going to see the gospel of Jesus changed him from being useless to being useful. Then we're going to see it changed him from a, a mere slave to a brother. And then last of all, we're going to see it changed him. It, it had the power to change him from servitude to a free man. We'll take a look at that. That one will be an interesting one. All right, let's take a look at the first one. From useless to useful. Take a look with me in verses 10 and 11. This is what Paul says to Philemon. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now, as we look at the gospel's power, to transform in the life of this lowly slave Onesimus, we got to see something very important here. We got to see that Paul uses what we call a play on words in verse 10. You don't have to be an expert exegete to know the whole point of the letter, right, as we just read it, is to appeal to Philemon, who is a believing master, to fully forgive Onesimus for abandoning his post as a servant in Philemon's household. So it's interesting, in verse 10 he says, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. And then in verse 11 he says, he was use, useless to you, but he's become useful now, both to you and to me. Now, why is that a play on words and why is that important to know? Because Onesimus means, guess what? Useful. That's what his name means. It's kind of like when I, after I got saved and I was telling everybody I was a Christian, right? Because before I was a Christian, my name is Santo, and that means holy. And when I told people my name meant holy or that I was a saint, believe me, I got a lot of giggles. You're right? After I was saved, it had a lot of meaning to me because I know that I was only holy because of the blood of Jesus, right? Well, this is a very similar situation with Onesimus because here's the point. 
He was the furthest thing from useful when he rebelled and when he left his proper place of employment and ran away from his master's household, who was a believing uh, master at this time. And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, he's saying he was, at one point he was useless, but now he's useful. But here's the key, now. And so what, what we have to ask is, what happened that made him go from useless to useful? What change occurred that would, would turn this irresponsible, rebellious, good-for-nothing slave into a completely different person supremely useful to the apostle and to the Lord Jesus Christ in his work and for his kingdom. What transformed him into a new man? And what we're going to see is very clearly, if you look at the text, Paul simply says this, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. So in other words, listen, this is very important now. Onesimus found the freedom of the forgiveness of sins when he came across the Apostle Paul when he was on the run in Rome and he met Paul and Paul preached the gospel to him. When he heard the good news of Jesus Christ, Onesimus' heart broke, he repented, and he believed the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And he found a freedom that he had never thought about before because it wasn't just an outward freedom, it was a freedom from within forgiveness of sins. The gospel of Jesus changed him into a brand new man in Christ. No longer was he rebellious, lazy servant, but he was a helpful, conscientious servant of the Lord. Listen, I thought about this story that I heard about. A friend once showed this gentleman named John Ruskin a costly handkerchief on which a blot of ink had been made. And the man who owned the, the handkerchief said nothing could be done with it now. It's absolutely worthless. Ruskin didn't say anything back, but he took the handkerchief with him and he walked away. After a time, he sent it back, and to the great surprise of his friend, who could hardly believe his eyes, in a most skillful and artistic way, Ruskin had made a design in Indian ink, using the ugly blot as a center for the design. I think the point of that is this. A blotted life is not necessarily a useless life. Jesus can make a life beautiful if it's surrendered to him. That's what happened with Onesimus. He went from being worthless to being of supreme worth. And that's what Jesus can do with a life, with a broken and a messed up life, a life like yours and a life like mine. He can make something incredibly beautiful out of it, and he can make you useful in his eternal kingdom. That's what he did for Onesimus. It's a real person in real time who someday, we, if we know Jesus, we will see Onesimus in the kingdom of our Father. That's the power of the gospel when people take it to heart and believe it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we, besides Paul's word, because Paul says he had become his son through the gospel, how do we know besides Paul's word that Onesimus was truly converted? Hmm. And I'm going to tell you, we have 
great evidence here, and it's through his actions. We could see through Onesimus' actions, he was truly a repentant and believing man. Think about it this way. He was going to go back. He was going, heading back with a letter from the Apostle Paul, thankfully. He was going back to face the consequences of his sin. Now, he had hoped, and we all were hoping, that Philemon would take him back in and there'd be no, no serious ramifications. But Onesimus did not know that, did he? He went back, and he was ready to face the music because his heart was set free. You see, when you truly meet Jesus and you're truly saved, you want to make things right. If you had wronged someone, if you had hurt someone, if you had sinned, as far as it's up to you, because it's not always possible, right? But as far as it's up to you, you if you're really repentant, you want to now make it right. And Onesimus, he was heading back, which is not an easy thing, especially in those days, for a slave to do. I think what we have to see here is that he believed and he accepted the truth of what Paul told, Paul told the uh, Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians 7, 21 to 23. Listen, this is what Paul writes in Corinthians. Very important to hear this. He's speaking to slaves. He says, were you a slave when you were called? In other words, when you heard the gospel and God called you to belong to him, were you a slave? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. Interesting. Onesimus knew from personal experience what Jesus meant when he said these words. Listen, if the Son shall set you free, you are free indeed. Thank you, somebody out there is listening. You are free indeed. So he was changed from being useless to being useful. But here, he, it gets deeper here. He was changed from merely a slave to a brother, a dear brother of Philemon, which is interesting. So not only is On Onesimus free in Christ, useful in his service, in Paul's service, and eventually, Lord willing, in his master's house, Philemon's household, but now, Jesus, through the gospel, had done something else. And what you need to see is whether Philemon receives him or accepts it or not, this was a, a, a solid fact. He left Colossae as a mere wayward slave, and he was returning back as a dearly loved brother in the Lord. Philemon had to accept Onesimus is now a brother in Jesus. He's part of not only his physical household but he's now a part of the household of God and that's huge listen to what Paul says in verse 15 perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother he is very dear to me but even dearer to you both as a man we'll get to that in a moment and as a brother in the Lord and you have to understand that was revolutionary back in those days. Paul's pointing out is pointing out that Onesimus was better than a mere slave. He was a dear brother. Now talk about the gospel changing everything. I don't think we realize the impact about, of this. Notice what Paul is saying in verse 15. He's pulling a page out of 
the book of Genesis. He's pulling a page out of Joseph's life. You remember when Joseph's brothers, what they do? They sold him into slavery. Remember that? And you remember what after they come back to Egypt, um, um, Joseph gets to, to be like second only to Pharaoh or so, and the brothers come groveling, and when the brothers find out that it was, it's their brother, Joseph, who they have to answer to, you remember what Joseph says? Exactly. He says, don't be afraid. You intended it for evil, but God had other plans. He had a purpose for this. And what Paul is gently saying to Philemon is, hey, you know what? We're not condoning what Onesimus did. It was wrong. But perhaps God did this so that he would come back to you, not temporarily, and not just as a slave, but that you might have him back permanently, and this time as a full-fledged brother in Christ. Philemon's heart should be jumping out of his chest that a lost sinner has repented and is now home with Jesus. You remember the story of the prodigal son, right? You remember the problem with the older son. He, had, he was upset that mercy was extended to his sinful brother. And in a very similar way, what Paul is saying is you should be excited, right? And Paul has great hope for Philemon, and we'll see that next week, that he indeed will be excited and not put the hammer down. But we'll talk about that next time. Now, so I think Paul is pointing out something even deeper than this, and I think this is really powerful. What Paul is pointing out is this. God, in his mercy through Christ Jesus, his death and his resurrection, has forgiven Onesimus his incredible debt that he owed God. Right? And that debt is incredibly more than whatever he could possibly owe Philemon. And so... In turn, what he's saying is, if God forgave him of that great debt, Philemon, who are you to not forgive your brother for the little debt, comparatively speaking, that he owes you? He was appealing to Philemon, and that Philemon was a new man in Christ. Calvin puts it this way. The apostle warns us how affectionately we ought to aid a sinner who has given us proof of his repentance. And if it is our duty to intercede for others, it is in, in order to obtain forgiveness for those who repent, much more should we ourselves treat them with kindness and gentleness. I think that's a lesson for us too, isn't it? If God forgives the repentant and forgets all about their sins, how should we forgive one another? How often uh, I've heard throughout my Christian life, I hear people say things like, um, I can forgive them, but I can never forget what they did. Ever hear people say that? Or I've heard worse than that. I've heard even of Christians saying things like, I'll forgive them, but I don't want to have anything else to do with them ever again. Is that how Christ forgave us? Is that how God forgave us? Yeah, I'll forgive you, Santa, but stay away from me. And here, that's what Paul is driving home with Philemon. Listen, he's a new man in Christ. He's coming back. He's doing the right thing. As Jesus forgave you, it's time for you to extend that same grace. That's what the gospel does. It's so powerful. Because listen, forgiveness is impossible. Humanly speaking, I don't have an enemy to forgive. I'm too darn angry at people. 
but through the gospel and the power of God that's unto, unto salvation that works in my heart, that reminds me of the great debt that I owe and that I continue to owe day by day. When I see that, it melts, right? And I look at you a lot more with the right eyes. And I say, if God could forgive me, and if he could forgive you, come on in. Eat at my table. And of course, we are talking about repentant sinners here. We are talking about people that are making that effort, that are confessing. Onesimus was not coming back in pride. He was coming back with his hat in his hand. What I did was wrong. After 18 months in the ministry, a pastor went to his filing cabinet to pull out the love file. I like this. He discovered he didn't have one. And he thought to himself, impossible. How do I not have a file on love, right? <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. But he searched, he searched uh, among faith and fasting. He looked between healing and heaven. And he still couldn't find it. Maybe he thought, maybe it's sandwiched between Christology and Christian education. But he couldn't find it. When he stopped to reflect, the Holy Spirit solved the mystery. Listen, this is powerful. The love file was scattered, not misfiled. Parts of it were found under patience, kindness, humility, trust, hope, loyalty, and perseverance. But the pastor found, this is the powerful part, but the pastor found the greater part of the love file squarely centered and deeply seated in forgiveness. Where do we see love any greater than that? You're not going to find it. What greater love is there that says, I will pay the price of your sin and continue to fellowship with you as if you never did it? And this is what Paul is saying should happen with Onesimus and with his old master. And it's a lesson for us. So he left of no use. He's coming back useful because the gospel has changed him. He left a mere servant in the household. He's returning as a member of the family of God. No matter how Philemon responds. But now there's one more thing the gospel affects for Onesimus. And this is what I want to spend just the last few minutes with. And I'm only going to touch upon it a little bit. And we could say this, the gospel had tremendous potential to do one last thing for Onesimus. And listen, this is powerful. It had the power to change his social status. Let me explain that. You better not go anywhere. I want you to hear this and hear it clearly. So there is the possibility through the power of the gospel at work in Philemon's heart that Onesimus would not only uh, be a new man in Christ as a slave, but possibly he could become a free man. I'm going to show you that. Let's take a look at this, from slave to free man. It certainly seems from verses 20, um, 16 to 21 that Paul is gently and tactfully and sensitively asking Philemon, listen, to voluntarily set Onesimus free. That's a big order, by the way, because that would have affected him hugely financially. Look at me at verse 16 again. No longer as a slave, and we can 
insert in there merely as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Note the interesting comment there. He says something very interesting. He says, as a man. Now, why would Paul add that, as a man? Because he's making a very clear point. He's telling Philemon, Onesimus is a fellow human being. Not a possession. Not an animal. Not an inanimate object. He is a man like you created in the image of God. And he will be, as a brother in the Lord, he will be supremely way more helpful to you than he was when he was forced to serve at obligation in your household. It sure seems to me that Paul is gently and lovingly pointing out that Onesimus is a man born with dignity and worth. And although, listen, although it's important to see there, he's only asking for Philemon to no longer regard him as a slave, but a dear brother. Verse 21, now listen, this is important. Verse 21 makes it clear that he would be overjoyed if he would go further than that and emancipate him. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 21, this is important. He says, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. You see that? What could be even more than regarding him as as a brother and not a slave? Making him not a slave. Officially. Signing off. You are free. And Paul is saying, I I know you. I know the gospel's working in your heart. I know you truly belong to Jesus. And I'm confident you're going to go beyond the letter of the law. You're going to go above and beyond. Because the gospel that worked so powerfully in Onesimus' heart is the same gospel. It's the same Jesus that lives in you. That's what Paul is saying. Now, as I close, the million-dollar question here and the big problem when you preach a text like this. Um, Some of you may know I put up in our, our Facebook page a little article on slavery. And anybody, I saw, you know, it actually tells me how many people saw it, so, oops, I saw how many people saw it. And it's a much longer and deeper discussion than I can do in a sermon in a few minutes. But let me tell you this, and here's the problem. As soon as we hear slavery, right away we think of American slavery. But what you need to understand is the slavery in the Roman Greco world was was different, very different than the, the, the awful, wicked, abominable slavery that was here in America. And I'll tell you a couple of differences that are important to understand. The first difference is this. Slavery in America was based on color of skin and race. It was heinous. Slavery in the Roman Greco world was for two reasons mainly. One was when the Romans would conquer any people, didn't matter what race they were, they would become slaves. They were indiscriminate on what color you were, what race you're from. If they beat you and they brought you into their kingdom, then you were You were their subjects, number one. The other kind of slavery in the Roman Greco world was when, now listen, in our world, when we go bankrupt, what happens? No, we go chapter 11, right? And a lot of times we still live in our own houses. We we just kind of hope we can just move on. In those days, if you could not pay your debt, guess what? There's no chapter 11. You become a slave. And, and, And a lot of times, thank God, 
it was temporary. It would be for like a 10-year period or until you could pay off the debt. So what I want you to understand is when you're reading Philemon, don't read into it American slavery. It's not the same thing. Now, having said that, slavery of any kind is still not, is, is totally less than ideal. Amen? So there still was that situation. But what I want you to understand, why do I bring this up? Because people will say, they will see this as the slavery we had in America and say, why would Paul send Onesimus back to Philemon? Ever think about that? In other words, they, they, if you read this, in, if you read um, American slavery into this, you would think Paul was against the Underground Railroad. Are you with me? But he was not. It's two different institutions. Paul's not sending Onesimus back to that situation. I want you to understand that. That's very important to see. And it's also very important to see that Paul was not interested in being a revolutionary. He was not an anarchist. Nor did he want to do any rash, make any rash movements that could get Onesimus killed. Or that could totally destroy society as he knew it. Instead, how does, he, how does he actually begin to dismantle slavery? You know how. Through the gospel. Because when in the church, masters who owned slaves realized this wasn't a good thing. And when they began to repent and release their slaves, they became a picture of the right way to do it, the right way to live. Amen? And society was slowly changed because they were shamed by how the Christians eventually would treat the slaves like brothers and then eventually end the whole institution. Listen, F.F. Bruce once put it this way. What Paul's letters do is to bring us into an atmosphere in which the institution of slavery could only wilt and die. Isn't that powerful? And I want to end, literally end with this. The point of the gospel is this. No matter what your outward situation is, you remember what Paul said. He said, if you are a slave, what do he say? Don't let it trouble you. Now, if you can, certainly, you know, Get out if you can. But if you can't get out, don't let it trouble you. How could Paul say that? Because the real freedom we need is freedom from the slavery of sin and from Satan. Because when you're freed within, what else matters? You can go on and serve God and trust God. And sure, you could work toward the abolition of that, that awful institution. But you don't have, your life doesn't, isn't dependent on that because you've been a free, you're, you're a free man. If, you, if you've been freed by the Son of God, free you are indeed. Can I get an amen? amen. The gospel has the power to do that. And next week, we're going to see how the gospel works in Philemon's heart and how he changes by the grace of God and how we could change no matter where we are, whatever station of life we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible letter that Paul wrote that we have to this day that you included in your word so it is without error and it is your word to us. And we thank you that through the gospel we have the forgiveness of sins and we have deliverance from the domination of sin and the devil. 
We thank you for our brother who so many years ago, thousands of years ago, you set free. And we thank you for the blessed work you did in Philemon's heart. But God, in our society, we pray that you would enable us to hold firm to the gospel that is the power unto God for all who believe, that many prisoners will be set free, most of all spiritually, but yes, Lord, even societally in many ways as your gospels apply to every area of life. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.